I'm Victoria, and this podcast is all about running, marathon training, and run coaching. It is packed with useful tips to help you grow as a runner. I am a 13-time Boston qualifier and mom of two who started running as an adult. I learned a lot on my journey, and in 2014, I launched an online run coaching business to help other runners. Now, we employ several run coaches and are one of the largest online run coaching companies. We teach you the secrets to reaching your potential in the sport of running. We give real talk discussing personal stories of injuries, setbacks, and PRs. Think of this as a conversation with serial marathoners who share the lessons that we learned along the way. This is the Run for PRs podcast. The six long run mistakes that we see. Long runs are a critical part of training for the long distance runner, but we often see that this long run has some mistakes that get made when athletes are training, especially as you ramp up into those longer distance races like the half marathon or full marathon. We are going to chat about what these six biggest mistakes are when it comes to the long runs and what you can do to tweak your training to make sure that your long run is getting the most benefits that it can. So before we dive in into the details of each of these six mistakes, I'm going to list them out right now in the intro of this podcast that you know what is to come. So the first mistake that we see is the long run too long compared to your weekly mileage. The second mistake is long run too fast compared to your current VDOT fitness level. Number three, long run jumps way too much in distance within one to two weeks. Number four, no cutback long run during the month. Number five, running for more than three hours in your long run. And number six, not fueling for your long runs over 90 minutes in duration. So we kind of gave away what the six mistakes are, but I think it's really important to dig into the details of these six mistakes because you may be listening and go, whoa, I do one of these, or I'm probably going to do one of these in my marathon training cycle. So we're going to go into some of the details of each of these mistakes, and we're going to talk about maybe what you can do to tweak it so that you can actually have more benefit from your long runs. So the first one and most common, especially as you start to do a marathon training cycle, is that your long run is too long and compared to your weekly mileage. And so what we like to use as the guideline for this rule is that your long run should be no greater than one third or about 33% of your total weekly mileage. And so what the first thing people tend to do with this rule or guideline that we say is they're like, wait, so I need a 20 mile long run. That means I would have to be running at least like 60 miles a week in order to get that 20 mile long run. So Jason, what do you say to people who sort of jump to that conclusion and how can you have that strong base going into marathon training so that you can get your long runs up there um, and feel like you're ready for the race? Yeah, it's a great topic. And you know, this one is number one for a reason, right? Because I think it's the rule where people want to sort of break it. And for some athletes, you know, if you're a first time marathoner, um, you're probably going to break it 
during certain weeks of your training, right? Because we're going to have to at least build you up to 15, 16, and depending on what your weekly mileage is, you may or may not be under that 33%. Um, but for most runners um, that want to strive for that 20 mile long run, like you said, 60 mile weeks is kind of a lot. So mm-hmm. um, the best thing is really to be consistent with your running before you begin the marathon training cycle. So looking at your weekly mileage and your your um, number of runs per week, um, and then also your long run, because if you're you know, if your longest run was, um, I don't know, let's say an hour, right? So for most people, that's probably around like seven miles. Um, and then you want to start this marathon training cycle, uh, maybe three, four or five months down the road, you know, that doesn't leave you a ton of time to kind of build up nicely to be able to handle that 20 miles. Um, and so it's just really important, I think, to stay consistent during the off season and to, um, you know, understand that you don't have to run a 20 miler during your first marathon training cycle. You know, for some people, they don't, Mm -hmm. they don't run 20 miles ever during marathon training for others. It may come during their second, third, fourth, fifth marathon. So it really kind of depends. I know when I ran my first, I, I peaked at 18 miles and I was, you know, that, that only took me two hours roughly or a little under. So, um, it's not necessary to, to do 20 miles or multiple 20 milers. Um, and I think that, you know, your weekly mileage and the quality of, of your runs during the week is, more important than just getting in that long, long run. Yeah, there's a lot of really good stuff to unpack there. And I think there is that misconception in the running community that in order to finish, you know, that 26.2 mile marathon, you got to do a 20. And I think a lot of that has to do with numbers and seeing the two in front of it and all of those things. But like you said, I personally, as a coach, have seen so many athletes actually reach, you know, close to their potential in the marathon um, and qualify for Boston for the first time, do all of these amazing things when their long run is actually more in like that 15 to 18 mile range as more of like their peak long runs during marathon training cycle. And there's a lot of reasons for that. And we'll probably get into that um, later in the podcast, but I think that's super important to remember that, you know, you're the sum of everything you do in the week. And so sometimes that overemphasis on the long run can kind of get people in trouble. So it's really important to remember to have a strong base going into marathon training and just you know, I know you threw out that like 60 mile a week, um, stat when you were talking some athletes, I mean, Ironmans, for example, when you're training for an Ironman, you are training for an event. That's like, tell me what the, the distances are for the swim, bike and run. Well, 2.4 mile swim, 112 mile bike, and then a marathon. So for most, you know, triathletes, that's going to be 10 plus hours. And for most like, you know, recreational triathletes, you're looking at like 13 hours or so. So yeah. Yeah, it's, um, they're probably running anywhere from three to four days a week. Right. And so that's where it gets really interesting is people will look at an Ironman and say, okay, if we're looking at their training, you know, they might not be running more than 20, 30 miles a week. But what's interesting with the Ironman um, is that you're doing so much cross training. So while you may only be running, you know, 20 miles a week and you're able to complete this marathon at the end of all of the other stuff (laughs) that you're doing that day. Um, what's really important to remember is that they are doing a lot of the cross training involved there. And so when we say your long run too long in compared to your weekly mileage for some athletes who are engaging in a lot of cross training, or if you're like more of a low mileage athlete, I think it is really important to consider that the whole volume that you're doing in a week. So if you're doing some cycling, if you are training for some triathlons, if you are someone that thrives more off of lower running mileage, we can actually include, okay, let's say you did like two or three hours of biking. Sometimes in that case scenario, I'm going to take the sum of every aerobic activity that you did that week. And let's say that was, um, like six, six or eight, let's say it was 10 hours just so it's easier. Um, when I'm coming in for action. So let's say you do 10 hours of aerobic work, 
okay, one third of 10 hours is going to be a three hour long run. And so that's how you can kind of break things down in a different way. Um, so if you are someone that's thriving off of doing some biking, doing some cross training, that's another way that you can calculate that 33% because there are those cases, especially if you're training for tries, if you're someone who loves to do cross training, where we do need to include that kind of in that total volume number. Yeah. And I mentioned earlier, you know, you might, you might break this rule like one week or something. Maybe it's like during your peak week Mm -hmm. or something like that. If you're a first time marathoner or even, you know, myself when I was training, um, you know, I wasn't like super consistent, uh, with my weekly mileage. So I know there's weeks that I kind of broke the rule, but what we're saying is if you want to set yourself up for success, the best way to do that is to try to kind of follow these rules and to be consistent. So like if you do break in one week, make sure you offer that cutback week. Um, and you know, the reason why is because, um, you know, let's say you're kind of getting back to that first example I said, the first time marathoner, you know, you're ramping up, getting ready for your race. And all of a sudden you go out and you run something that was two or three or four miles further than what you've done so far. That's going to take a lot of wear and tear on your mm-hmm. body and you're going to need to repair the, the muscle damage. And so the next week's probably going to not look very high, right? Mileage wise, you're not going to get a lot of quality out of it. So you're better off just kind of being consistent from week to week. And then having that weekly like workout, I think is super important where you can offer some marathon pace work at your aerobic threshold. Um, and then obviously the long run should kind of, you know, build up uh, progressively. So we shouldn't see any major jumps, which I know we're going to talk about here shortly. Um, so, and then the other thing is if you're going to be breaking this rule on occasion, it's super important that you're either, like you said, um, complementing it with cross training, or you're also doing a lot of strength training so that you're keeping yourself healthy. Right. Really good points. And I think, um, like you said, these are more of like guidelines. And so you might break them once a week or not once a week, you might break it like once in a while in your marathon training cycle, but where you're going to find the most benefit Mm -hmm. is where you find that sweet spot of like, okay, no more than 33%. And so for the bulk of your marathon training cycle, let's say you're running 45 miles a week, your really like sweet spot range for that long run is going to be right around that 15 mile mark. So one third of that weekly mileage is about 15 miles and you're going to see a lot of benefits from hanging out in that range for the most part. Um, so moving on to the second rule or guideline that we see that sometimes gets broken, um, is that your long run is too fast compared to your fitness level. And so it's really important to dissect like what pace are you supposed to be running for your long run? And this is a very common question. And so for most athletes, we're going to say you need to do your long runs at an easy aerobic pace. And that definition really quickly, um, you can calculate that by, figuring out your 5k pace. So if you recently are in a 5k, like eight minute pace, what you're going to do is add two to three minutes per mile onto that 5k pace. Um, and it's usually going to be about one to two minutes per mile off of your marathon pace. So if your marathon pace is like eight minute pace, we're adding one to two minutes on there. Um, and that's a lot slower than most people naturally want to go on a long run. And I know when I first started marathoning, a lot of my long runs ended up being around marathon pace. And I think that's a natural inclination for a lot of athletes, a lot of athletes that come on board with run for PRs. That's kind of historically what they've been doing. They find that they're kind of reaching a plateau or a peak or come race day, they're not really reaching to that next level. Or sometimes they like are bonking or on mile 20 and they're not able to pick up the pace. And in fact, they're actually slowing down. So there's a lot to unpack here. So Jason, talk to me a little bit about long runs too fast 
compared to an athlete's fitness level and how actually running slower can make you faster. Yeah. So this, you know, there's a lot to unpack here. I could probably speak for a while on this one, but, um, you know, I work with a lot of athletes and, um, some are first time marathoners, others are, um, you know, veterans. And so helping, you know, helping athletes make sure they're running the right paces is key no matter what level they're at. But I think I see this more with the beginner marathoners or the people that have maybe done just a few, like a small handful of marathons. And so once, I think once you understand like how to, um, not only put together a, um, a solid training cycle, but you know, execute uh, a pacing plan the way you want to on on the marathon race day itself. That's when you're really going to buy in, I think, to the concept of easier running. Um, but so for first time marathoners, you know, using an example, let's say you run a 5k 24 minutes, uh, which indicates an easy pace of, you know, like 9:45 to 10:45. Um, you were saying that. Um, you know, that's, that's your easy pace. So your long run should be in that pace zone. Now your marathon pace may be a minute faster, roughly. So about 845, but that doesn't mean we're going to try to go out and run the whole long run at the duration or at that pace. Right. So you may have chunks of your long run on occasion at that pace. Um, but you know, if you look at all the elite marathoners, they're not going out there and running their long runs at their goal marathon pace. Um, they may have structure within that long run on occasion, but a lot of their long runs are are just going to be done at their easy pace. Yeah, that's a really good point. And I think a lot of people want to do marathon pace because it like, it's a confidence booster. It is a technical aerobic pace. So you're at your upper end of what is an aerobic pace, but physiologically on your body running a marathon pace and like mechanically, it's a lot harder on your body. And so we want to make sure that we're running at a slower pace because then your body's be better able to make adaptations. Um, yeah. And so people are like, Whoa, does that really work? Um, my last marathon that I trained for, I ran 311, which is about, it was a little faster than like 720 pace on my Garmin. But a lot of my um, my long runs leading up to that race, I actually ran with one of my friends who was pregnant. And so we did like a lot of our long runs in like the 939 minute pace range. And I remember kind of going to the start of the race and I was like, wow, I've, I've never really ran um, two minutes per mile slower than my marathon pace before for long runs. Like, I wonder how this race is going to go. And I know it was at Boston, so it was a really hilly course. And so I was really a little bit unsure, but, um, I was really surprised that I was actually able to run a pretty big PR, um, that day, but it kind of goes back to the whole, you know, trusting the training, trusting the process. And there was a lot of benefits to going slower on those easy runs because I or on those long runs, because then I was able to do some of my workouts um, mm-hmm. faster. I was able to recover more. I was maybe able to run a little bit higher mileage. So there's a lot of stuff that goes into why we encourage people to maybe slow down on their long runs. Because again, we don't want to like hyper-focus on that one long run. Because if you're banking like everything up for that right. one long run, um, we're kind of missing like other components of training. Because weekly mileage is going to be a big factor. And so is your um, weekly workouts. So we want to be pushing on workout days as well. Yeah. And you know, you should finish your long runs always feeling kind of like you're holding back, like you could run longer, right? right? Because then you're going to recover faster and you're going to get um, a more of a quality session during the week. Like you said, those weekly components to the long run. And then um, for the mental side too, I know a lot of us, we tend to push the envelope, right? Like we want to run that marathon pace for as long as we can during our long run, because it's like, how do we know that we're going to be able to do it on race day? But it kind of goes back to just trusting the process and gaining confidence other ways, right? Within mm-hmm. your training. So maybe hitting your paces during a workout or running negative splits, um, that sort of thing. And so I think, you know, it comes with a level of experience to be able to trust it and to just kind of buy into that concept of running easy. Right. Definitely. 
Um, and it just takes time to kind of buy into that and to see the results. So just trusting the training and then using those workout days as that confidence booster can be huge. So then moving on to the third mistake that we see is the long runs jump too much in distance within a week or two. So this can be a really um, big struggle, especially for someone who maybe took significant time off. So maybe right now, like you didn't really run a ton in the spring, maybe your long run sitting at like five, six miles, but then you are looking back and saying, well, last year I did a marathon or like two years ago I did a marathon or maybe that's not even the case. Maybe you're at like seven, eight miles right now and you see this online training plan and you're like, well, you know, it starts at 10, 13 miles. I'm just going to like go out and get there and do it. And the thing about our bodies is that they're really resilient usually. And so you might actually get away with that one long run kind of where you jump up in distance and then you know, as the weeks go on, maybe like something flares up later. And so that's what I think is really tricky about running related injuries is sometimes it's not like, okay, you go on the one run and then boom, you're injured. It's like this accumulation over time. And then there's really like no way for the athlete to like pinpoint exactly what it was. And so this is one of those where it's like, this is going to be a big stress on your body. If you jump up more than like two miles in your weekly long run. So I like to say, Mm -hmm. you know, if you're at an hour, a good jump up would be like going to 75 minutes and then the next week going to like 90 minutes and we're going to go incrementally from there. Um, so if you right now are looking ahead and you're running the Chicago marathon, well, it might be nice to get a calendar out, write down exactly like where your long run is at last week or this week. And then just kind of every like for three weeks build for 15 to 20 minutes mm-hmm. and then do a cutback. Um, on that third week where, or on that fourth week where you're going to go less than 90 minutes. So then just seeing like, where would you be at, you know, 12 weeks from now with your long run? And what most people would find is that you're at a good, you would be at a good spot. You'd be at like two plus hours, two and a half hours, maybe even three hours. And that's really, um, how you know you're ready to start this marathon training cycle. Yeah, good points. I, I think for me, when I look at a, um, an athlete, you know, I factor in a lot of things, uh, their, their experience, their background, kind of their injury history, um, and then time is a really big factor in, in terms of how do I want to structure their plan? Do I want to do two-week builds, three-week builds? For some people, it's every other week. Like if I'm training myself, I'm doing every other week long runs because I know that it just sort of takes a toll on my body. I want to make sure that I um, don't have any setbacks and that I can still get a quality workout in between. So. I think it depends on the athlete, but a general rule of thumb is a, is a nice like two mile progression, like you were saying. Um, and then, you know, after that cutback week, so let's say your cutback is back to like 10 or something like that or nine. Yeah, then it's okay to have more than a two mile um, raise that following week because you allowed your body that cutback. Right. But for the most part, when you're progressing like that, it should be no more than, I like I like that. I like the two miles. I try to do the same when I'm building my, my athlete plans, especially if it's a two or three week build. Um, so yeah, that's that's an important one to make sure that it's a progressive jump in distance, and then that'll, in result, kind of raise the weekly mileage as well. So you shouldn't have to really tweak too much of the weekday runs. That mileage should kind of stay consistent, you know, maybe an extra mile here and there, depending on the week. But um, you don't want to be adding like two miles for all your weekday runs plus the two miles on the long run, because then that's a recipe for, for an injury. Right. And I've always heard the phrase, like, don't add more than one stress variable at a time. So it's really mm-hmm. important to know, like, as you're building that long run, that we maybe don't want to be building um, like an extra workout day or we don't want to be doing a ton extra because that one day where you're really building that long run 
is right. a stress in and of itself. And one thing to add, I, I liked how you mentioned um, a lot of times athletes will feel good right after they complete this really long mm-hmm. run, and then the injury of the flare-up doesn't occur for some, some weeks later, right? And so... You know, I had an athlete recently run a half marathon PR and she wanted to get right back into training, mm. but just helping her kind of um, understand the importance of that cutback week to make sure that, um, hey, we want to make sure that your body has a chance to repair itself and that we can kind of build smart and safe um, as we continue. And so for some time, for some of you, the cutbacks might come at the right time um, where you feel like you really need it. And for others, it might just be something you, you have to kind of force yourself to do just to kind of prevent you from um, overdoing it with your training. And so... Cutback weeks are interesting. I know that's going to be the next one we get into here. So Yeah, definitely. And one last thing on this, you know, jumping up in distance is for a marathon training cycle, you know, you're peaking at maybe like 18 to 20 miles and then you're able to go and do that 26 mile long run. And so in that one long run, you are jumping in six to eight, maybe even 10 miles in a single run. And so what you are doing basically if you jump your long run from like 6 to 16 without the proper build as you're asking your body to basically do the same stress as like a race and so if you continue to try to like want to build off of that your body like will maybe be able to hang on and fight a little bit but it's so much stress that it's just like not worth the risk and so that's why we like to build slow So then coming in on the fourth mistake that we see is no cutback long runs. And so what that means is once a month, usually some athletes will even do this like every other week. It just really depends on the person, maybe your age, maybe like how you respond to training, those sort of things. Um, You're going to want to have a deload week where your long run is not really exceeding 90 minutes in duration. And the reason for that is because the glycogen storages when you're running for over 90 minutes, really start to get tapped into. And if you're talking about doing a marathon training cycle over the course of like four to six months, we really wanna make sure that we're allowing time for proper recovery at a macro level. And so what that means is on a micro level, you're recovering maybe on your weekly rest day, right? But then on a more macro scale, so like once a month, we wanna take one week out of that month where we are cutting back the volume to kind of give your body like a break and a little reprieve from the building of the last two to three to four weeks. Um, And that's really, really important. And I think it's something that's often overlooked by people because what ends up happening is you approach that third week, it's supposed to be a cutback week and you're like, well, I feel good. So you just kind of power through, try to hang on to like that peak mileage that you have been doing. And then it comes to bite you later in the training cycle. So it's really important to do these cutback weeks. And it's going to be about a 70% um, 70% of what the prior week was. So let's say you're hanging out at like 40 miles a week. 75% of that is going to be 30 miles. And so that's quite the cutback. It's a 10-mile drop. Um, and where you might be doing that is your long run. And then it might be like every weekday run, you're maybe shaving off like two miles, um, just to give yourself that time to repair and move forward into the next week with a little bit of recovery on a macro level. Yeah. And one thing that came to mind about cutback weeks was, um, the being flexible with them. So let's say your week hasn't started off great because you kind of got sick or whatnot. So it's really nice if you're able to kind of adjust and, and make that week a cutback week, for example, that way, 
you don't like overstress your body and then like the next week was going to be a cutback week so I, i've often kind of ma- made tweaks along the way and that's kind of nice to be able to um, have your training sort of planned out at least for the next like four to six weeks um and so um you know i had another idea about cutback weeks i'm blanking on it now but uh one other thing um that comes to mind when some when athletes kind of fill out their form um when they're kind of getting getting started working with us for the first time is i see i often see athletes that run the same long run distance like every single mm-hmm. week and so this is very common right um and one lady in particular she was always running 13 like it was like 13 13 once in a while it would be a 14 and so i was like hey i think we could get more and she wasn't trained for a marathon she just i think liked to run long and so I was like, I think we can get more benefit if we do like an occasional like 15 miler and then we do some cutbacks to like 10 um, and we can do some like 13 mile like workouts too and just to kind of mix things up. And I think she's really enjoying the, the change and the approach. And so, um, yeah, the, the distance for the long run shouldn't always be the same week to week. Obviously in an off season, you know, you can run, you know, if you're tapping out at 10 miles or whatnot, that's fine. But um, I think it's always important to kind of vary up the training because it helps things uh, prevent them from becoming too stagnant and from you, you know, leading to burnout. Right. Not only should it not be the same week to week, but you also shouldn't expect that every week you're going to be building. So just because you're in a marathon training cycle doesn't mean that every week you need to build the long run. you got to have those cutback weeks every two to four weeks within your training cycle, which will help immensely. Um, and I know a lot of people do kind of come into that contact where they're like I gotta run long every week because I'm marathon training and a lot of the plans that you'll see online like they build every single week but like in the RCA training they, they told us like once a month you gotta have that come right. back so it's just a really good staple to remember so moving on to number five this one is pretty tough to kind of like wrap your head around especially for those of you who aren't able to cover as much distance if you're out there for an extended period of time so we like to cap long runs at no more than three hours in a single long run and so for some athletes who are running in like closer to you know 12 12 minute pace for your long run, you're going to be capped around like that 15 mile mark. And so you might be thinking, well, that's just like not enough. Um, I need to run longer. And so what we recommend at that point is the consideration of back to back long runs. And so what you might be doing is like on Friday night, you're running for 90 minutes and then on Saturday morning, you go out and you're doing that three hour long run. And so you're running on fatigued legs, you're dipping into like those glycogen storages and you're really simulating um, the end of the marathon, but you are not going to get out there and get injured because what ends up happening in scientific studies have shown that when you run for more than three hours, the risk for injury really goes up. And then the benefits that you're getting um, after the two and a half hour mark really start to decrease. Like there isn't a ton of benefit. And so you always want to balance that risk versus reward factor. Yeah, this is this is a big one, right? Because it kind of goes back to the confidence and, and thinking like, oh, am I going to be prepared if I don't run, you know, this distance before the marathon? And um, you have to kind of, it's risk versus reward, right? Like figure out a way to get the training that you think your body needs. Um, and you want to be able to, uh, give yourself time to adapt to it. So if you go out and run a three hour long run or three hours and 30 minutes or whatever, just to hit your 19 or 20 miles, um, that might take you a long time to recover. You know, I've had training cycles where I was not really, um, you know, in great shape and I forced myself to do like a 20 mile long run. And, it just like took a toll on me, right? So it kind of ruined like the next two weeks of my training. I think I would have been a lot more beneficial if I just capped it at like 15 or 16. And then I could have recovered quicker and got more quality from week to week. And so 
I think it's it's really you know if you're someone who's kind of unsure of what to do or how to structure or approach it, it's obvious obviously um, you know we're here to help in that regard. So I've helped a lot of athletes kind of all over the board from 15 minute mile pace down to 10 minute mile pace, kind of everywhere in between. Kind of figure out what is that right amount for you um, to train and to when to have those cutbacks and should we be doing like one week builds, two week builds, three week builds, should we be doing back to back, all of those things to figure out how to get you as prepared as possible for your marathon. Right. That's a really good point. And I know some people are like doing math right now. They're trying to figure out, okay, three hour long run, like what pace would I need to go to like do a 20 miler then? And that's really about like nine minute pace or faster is when you're going to hit um, the 20 mile long run. And what's really interesting about this is like no no runs more than three hours is like some more like elite marathoners you might actually be going like 24 26 miles and hitting the three hour mark so we just want to keep in mind that we want to train more off of like duration and time when it comes to these long runs just because the benefits right we don't want to like go over three hours and realize like there really wasn't a benefit to doing that and then there's like this huge risk for injury and i know a lot of people like the mental side of training is really important for people and so you want to be confident going into race day and so some of those confidence things you can do outside of training are really important and i know we have like a commit 60 course that you can um sign up for and there's just a lot of ways that you can work on your mental training Mm -hmm without really like compromising your physiological training and putting yourself at risk for um, injuries. Because I know it's really tempting to like want to go out and like run for, you know, maybe it's four hours to get your 20 mile long run. Maybe it's, I want to do 20 miles at marathon pace to like boost your confidence, those sort of things, but they can be really detrimental to your training. And so just keeping that in mind and remembering like we want to save racing for race day and you're the compilation of everything that you're doing within the training cycle. And so that kind of brings us to the sixth the sixth um, guideline that we like to have in here and that we sometimes see athletes make this mistake is that you're not fueling on long runs over 90 minutes. And so anytime you're training for a race where you're going to be out there for longer than 90 minutes or even some people run a half marathon a little faster than 90 minutes and even in that scenario, I would recommend you still kind of want to get your fueling down because if you're if you're approaching that 90 minute mark or even for a half marathon, a lot of people who maybe are faster than 90 minutes, maybe you're doing a warm up, and so you are still hitting that 90 minute mark. So it's still really important to mm. fuel your body appropriately for these runs. Um, and even if you're running a race that's like 60 minutes, you can still fuel for your run. And so that's why it's really important. Anytime you're going over 90 minutes, that's where the glycogen stores are getting tapped into for sure 100%. So you want to make sure you're fueling because you're going to actually be able to perform better. And I know a lot of people will be like, Mm -hmm. well, you can just burn your fat for fuel. And yes, that is true. But it's actually more efficient for your body to burn um, sugar and carbohydrates as fuel. And so that's why we recommend that you take in um, fuel during your run and also, of course, fueling before your run. Yeah. And, you know, we want you to train the way you're going to race, right? So you want to make sure that what you're taking in is going to upset your stomach. You're going to be able to handle it. You're not going to have GI issues. And so use your training as an opportunity to kind of fine tune how you want to fuel, you know, pre-run during the run and then obviously post-workout. But, um, so depending on the weather, you know, that might look different. If it's going to be hot and sunny, you might supplement with more electrolytes or more salt stick pills. If it's just going to be, 
um, you're out there long for a long time. It's not warm. You might do a little less fluid and more like gels and goos. And so kind of figuring out how you want to structure that, you know, for me, if I was to do a 10 mile race or above, I'm definitely going to bring fuel. Um, and so, you know, even if I'm running a half at around an hour 15, I would still take some goose around mile, like, or probably around 45 minutes in. So definitely not, um, cause what you want to do is keep, you want to prevent your energy storages from being completely depleted, right? Like you mentioned the word efficiency and that's exactly the word that comes to mind. Mm-hmm. You want to keep your body efficient with providing you the oxygen and the fuel that it needs to kind of keep you going at that pace. And so, um, during your long run, it's the same concept. Like you just want to kind of stay in that easy zone. The effort should be pretty minimal and um, if you're doing like a workout in your long run, then it's even more important to feel because you've got to make sure that you're, um, you know, keeping your effort level where it should be. And you, it shouldn't be like, you know, you shouldn't be finishing your long runs being uh, maxed out. You know, that's not how we want you to train. And so, um, yeah, I know I've made the mistake before going on 16, 17 mile long runs, not really bringing any, anything but a bottle of water or stopping for some Gatorade. And, um, I've learned that, now anything really if i'm gonna go over like 10 i'm gonna bring at least one one goo just because it's nice to have something and it's nice to not feel that dip in your um energy levels yeah definitely and it helps you kind of recover faster so you may totally be able to do a long run without any sort of fuel but what ends up happening is it's a greater stress on your body and so greater stress on your body you're going to put yourself at risk for um, an extended recovery period and you're also putting yourself at this place of your body is kind of in a vulnerable state and so if you do get exposed to like an illness like I know we have small kids so it's like almost always there's someone in the house that has a cold or like you're on the verge of it and so you really want to do things to like protect yourself and like your immune system and so fueling during your long runs can be one of those ways where you actually are not putting your body into that like more stress state you're right. able to um, recover a little bit quicker because you're not having to take like an extended time to rehydrate, refuel after that long run. And the body is really resilient. And so you can get away with doing these long runs without fuel, but it's not the most beneficial for your training. And so you really want to keep that in mind is like, what's going to be the most beneficial for not only my training, but my body. And that's usually going to be, you know, taking in fuel, starting with those runs over 90 minutes for sure, like as a rule. You can even start with like 60 minute long runs. And what that's gonna look like, um, every 30 to 40 minutes, you're going to want to be taking in like a gel, or if you're someone that doesn't really like the gels, um, you can take in a real food source. So some of the time these are gonna be dates, like if you have two or three dates, um, every like 30, 40 minutes. Um, raisins, applesauce. The applesauce isn't going to have as much carbohydrate as like a date would. And so you really want to be looking at the nutritional profile of what you're taking in and making sure you're actually getting adequate carbs. Um, I personally find it challenging to like chew while I'm eating, especially like at marathon pace. And so while I do like the idea um, in theory of, you know, eating real food on my run, I actually find that the gels, um, Huma gel is very uh very easy just to carry with me you know you can order it online and um it just provides i know i'm getting what i need when i just like bring gels with me Mm -hmm. and over the years it's like i've had to kind of experiment with what works and i know all the coaches here from prepares kind of have like different gels that they like and i think they just work really well um for getting in carbohydrates in like this liquidy form while you're running in those small packages yeah, definitely more convenient, I think, to carry that stuff um, in your foot belt or whatever you use to carry stuff. 
I, I am a fan of the real food sources and I'm glad mm-hmm. to take them during a marathon if I see them on the course and they're right. providing it for me. You know, I've had a fair share of bananas and oranges and, and all that, but um, yeah, that's what training's for, right? Is to experiment, figure out what works for you. And I'm really glad you brought up kind of the, the part about um, sort of a weakened immune system because that, mm-hmm. that that's really the key for all of these things, right? We want to try to avoid that. So how do we avoid that? We don't do anything drastic. We don't make these drastic jumps in our training. We listen to our body. We cut back when we need to cut back or after we just had, you know, finished up like a really intense period of training. And so, um, you know, it's really, I think really easy to overdo it and when you're marathon training. And so it's super important to be really focused on your nutrition, your sleep, your yes. strength, all of these factors that are almost gonna, you know, it's like the, it's gonna put together the perfect puzzle more, more importantly than just like how far you ran once or twice throughout your training. You know, it's, it's far more important to focus on all these little things and to worry about the mileage totals. Yeah, and that brings up a really good point as we're talking about like the human body and recovery and all of those things. So these are like guidelines, right? And we're basically saying like risk versus reward. Like this is the best guidelines to follow so you're not putting too much stress on your body. But if you do have like one of those weeks where okay, maybe you ran too fast in your long run, maybe you ran further than you were supposed to, whatever the case may be, let's say you break one of these guidelines, then it does really become imperative that we're focusing on the sleep. And so we aren't going to like skip out on sleep. You know, it's going to be a priority to make sure that the couple of days after that, that we're really listening to our body. We're focusing on getting at least a minimum of eight hours of sleep per night that we're staying super hydrated, that our nutrition is on point and that we're really fueling our body with everything that it needs to kick off the recovery process and heal from maybe any sort of additional damage that might've been done because typically what ends up happening when, you know, like an injury or like you get a sickness is that maybe you do break one of these and then something happens where it's like, oh, you only got five hours of sleep that night. And then, you know, you, your nutrition falls off and like your body's just under a lot of stress. Mm -hmm. And when that happens, sometimes it just breaks and it like begs for, um, like some time off. So that sometimes will come in like the form of an injury or an illness. And that's why it's really important just to remember that like, you have to really take care of your body during the marathon training cycle and during any time where you're asking your body to do something that maybe it's never done or if you're really trying to push your limits, all of those little components of nutrition recovery become that much more important because you're in this um, stress state where you really need to be recovering after these big uh, runs. Yeah, consistency and then avoiding setbacks to me are the two like keys to getting to the starting line and feeling you know feeling confident and being able to finish and having a good experience because if you're constantly overdoing it um or you do experience setbacks that just kind of it gets things off track and if you feel derailed and then you you might panic you're like how am i going to make up this and that and so it just like it's best to like to um you know make make all of these um decisions with your training um and be very kind of careful when you think about how to how to make any adjustments you don't want to overdo it too quickly and obviously working with a coach is a good way to um, kind of have insight and and have someone there take that take those thoughts out of off your plate so that you don't have to like overthink it yeah definitely there's so many benefits of working with a coach and i find it really beneficial to have 
like an outside source kind of looking at my training and keeping me in check because while you can say you know all this information it's kind of like do as I say and not as I do because sometimes you know even running coaches make um, mistakes and sometimes it's just you have these vices that you need to like keep in check and having someone kind of being accountable for you almost being like a little sponsor of your training can really go a long way and that's why I like to have um, some of the coaches that run for PR is like checking in my training or like I'll ask like hey like what do you think I should be adding in and so it can be sometimes hard to like get that feedback but honestly it's a thing that really like keeps me in check keeps me motivated and knowing that someone's in your corner like cheering for you and wants you to really succeed and is going to push you outside of your comfort zone I think is huge because otherwise if you're kind of like left to your own devices and really no one's keeping you in check or keeping you accountable it's like you might be someone who like falls into one of these traps and maybe you're just like teetering on the edge like like oh it's fine because I'm only doing 40% of my long run as 40% uh, of my weekly long 40% of my weekly mileage mm-hmm. as my long run and that's okay and no one knows and stuff like that so it's really a cool experience so if you're ever interested in working with a coach you can actually try a free 70 trial at www.runforprs.com. If you fill out the form there, we can actually get you connected with a coach. And so we really like review your athlete profile and we kind of hair you up with a coach that we think would be a really good fit. So we have a lot of coaches here and with the diverse backgrounds that our coaches have, we are able to really like pair you up with someone who would be a really good fit. So if you're interested in working with a coach, again, that's www.runforprs.com. We would love to get started working with you and learn more about your background. Thanks for tuning in.